City. It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets. And you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. You are listening to Inside the Hive on the All Hornets Podcast Network, one podcast feed with multiple shows, making sure we cover the Charlotte Hornets from every single angle. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review, subscribe to us on YouTube. The All Hornets Podcast is affiliated with the Fans First Sports Podcast Group. Today's show, hours before we are due to start recording, the Hornets announced they were Moving on from Mitch Kupchak, moving into a senior advisor role and starting their new president of basketball operations search immediately. As well as that, we have our first reactions to the Hornets' new additions. Five new players all played on Saturday night against the Memphis Grizzlies and picked up a win, the first one in 10. So me and Chase are going to be sharing our immediate reactions from some of those players and and doing a little bit of a glass half full, glass half empty in terms of what you can maybe expect from those players moving forward for the rest of the season and for some of them also maybe into next season too. So Chase, tell me, I'm always keen to hear, where were you when you heard the Mitch Kupchak news when the the Adrian Wojnarowski notification came across your phone? I was right on my couch. I was getting ready to start prepping for this very podcast, get my coffee set up. I had my breakfast right next to me, turning my TV on, putting the Hornets Grizzlies game on to play in the background since it was such a pleasurable experience i thought i might as well go back for more which was one of very rare occasions over the last couple years of hornets basketball and i pull up my phone and that's the first thing i see is that that lone notification is that mitch kupchak had i don't know if they phrased it as stepping down or stepping aside and will transition into his advisory role within the organization which I think is uh, something that we all can say we expected. Many people would probably say that they were hoping that would happen. But either way, it, it is here about uh, four days after the trade deadline. Uh, the, the search is beginning immediately. So we can expect that before the end of the regular season, which is something Woj noted, that there will be a new uh, man in charge of the Charlotte Hornets front office. Yeah. And look, big picture, the move surprises nobody. But the timing, I think, surprises some. Now, we got some rumblings. I think it was either from Jake Fisher or Mark Stein uh, last week, I think it was, that there might be changes in the front office after the deadline. But so far, the the reason everyone had been told why there hadn't been a change before the deadline was that, well, you're not going to be able to access some of the candidates you want to during the regular season, okay? Well, now they've made the change during the regular season. So how is it that, that is the case then, but it's not the case now. So that, the timing is interesting. Now, the fact that Mitch Kupchak is staying on in that advisory role makes it all make a little bit more sense because now it's not like you've got someone who's not going to be here in a month's time handling the trade deadline. You've got someone who's going to remain as an advisor to the owners, to the front office, and still has invested interest in the team. So it isn't just making short-term moves. And we saw from the nature of some of those moves with the Dallas Mavericks, uh, with the Oklahoma City Thunder, two trades we've not even had a chance to really speak about, but have already been covered in depth by the other podcasts on the All Hornets Podcast Network, um, that they are future thinking moves. So um, interesting timing with the, with the change coming. What do you think about this senior advisor role? I, th- I think we've heard it rumored in the past. Um, I guess any... Uh, what I'm curious... Is this a Wes Wilcox 
kind of one, or is this a Jerry West one? Now, Jerry West, for those who know, has been a very respected senior advisor to the LA Clippers, and he was with the Golden State Warriors before that. And he is involved while also not having a day-to-day role. Whereas Wilcox was the GM of the Atlanta Hawks, who got moved to the advisory role, which is also code for uh, he was basically shuffled out the door and they didn't want to say that they fired him. And I'm yet to really figure out which one this cup check version is. Just the nature of the relationship and his North Carolina ties makes me think it's more likely the prior. But what do you think? Yeah, and that's my main reasoning for it as well, is I think that just given his ties to the organization, to the area, his long-standing ties in the NBA in general, like I think this is probably going to be him shifting into like a genuine advisory role. I mean, on top of the fact that for all the, you know, shortcomings that the franchise has had in terms of their roster moves over the last couple of years, Mitch has still been very good at drafting in his time with the Hornets. They've gotten more than a handful of players out of the draft. I mean, he, they've got hit on both of their high draft picks. They got LaMelo number three, Brandon Miller number two. Both of those picks look like players that A, already made an all-star team, or B, are going to make them in the future. That's the most important thing. He's got plenty of picks out of the second round. Like There is definitely value in keeping his perspective around the organization. He clearly has an eye for talent, at least to an average degree, if not an above-average degree, among NBA decision makers and evaluators. I'm on top of the fact that, like we said, he has strong ties to the organization given his past. I think it makes perfect sense to kind of allow him to choose how he ends his career and step back into whatever capacity that he sees fit and maybe be more involved with the draft than he is with free agency or trades or the day-to-day operations. Or he's going to be, you know, in the gym with players, like giving them more advice, like maybe a more of a scouting type of role and not involved at all in any type of transaction thing. Like who knows what it's going to be, but I am kind of looking forward to seeing how that transition happens as well, because I mean, most player, most people in his position just get fired. They don't, you know, transition yeah. into a new role. So it's going to be an interesting well, look, thing to follow. What Mitch Kutchuk does have, you know, if you love him or you hate him, is significant experience and connections across the NBA, right? He is well-respected mm-hmm. amongst his peers. He has probably done a trade or transaction with every single franchise in an NBA at this point. He has links to owners, other front offices. You know, you ha- you bring in a newer, younger lead decision maker, which is, we'll get onto some names later, the rumored guys. Uh, they aren't just going to have the network that Mitch Kupchak has. So, you know, Mitch being able to, to know who the key people are to speak to, who the key influences are, all of that is important, right? And that's not coming down to like basketball talent eye. That's just like understanding the league and, and how it works. Um, we're not going to get into this too much. I, I will say, I think he's an average talent evaluator in the draft. I, like everyone points to Lamella Ball and Brandon Miller. And I know we're going to disagree on this and that's okay. Uh, Lamella Ball, it was a top three player draft. Okay. I think everyone thinks that James Wiseman was number one on the board. <laughs> And they were there at number three and they took the guy. I I don't give him that much credit for that one. I'm sorry. I just don't. Brandon Miller is the one that you can point to and go, everyone was calling me an idiot. And this is looking great so far. Okay. And and that is the one. But even you yourself last week on the podcast, I had people messaging me last week, by the way, saying that I should have pushed pushed back harder against you when you said uh, that you still had Scoot Henderson against (laughs) uh, Brandon Miller. In your in your draft scouting, um, so I'm pushing back now for them. Um, you know, I I think those are the like that is the one that you can point to. 
all the second round stuff, yeah, he got a handful of players. He was here for four or five years. Like, probably should get a handful of players. They had a lot of draft picks, right? So I would say he's an average talent evaluator. I don't think there is a, a, a stellar record here. But I I don't want us to go too far down the, the, Kupchuk, the Kupchuk rabbit hole here. That's a whole nother podcast, which is, we will have we coming will have. at a later date. So We will. We will. We'll be doing a full that. retrospective on the Kupchuk era. Also on the Gordon Hayward era, probably at some point later this season. I think... You know, they feel very relevant now, but there's just so much other stuff to talk about at the minute. It's probably not the time. But we have to close the chapter on those two names because they've been a huge part of this franchise for the last four or five years. And I think it's right that now we have the full body of work. We go back and look. Um, So there is a new name coming in, as you said, before the end of the regular season. There were four names listed in Adrian Wojnarowski's report. Um, they were New Orleans GM Trajan Langdon, Brooklyn's assistant GM Jeff Peterson, Cleveland GM Mike Gansey, and Philadelphia GM Elton Brand. And he, he interested, and others, right? He did not say it's just those four. He said there are others as well. Before we get into this, I need to clarify an Americanism. Is it Jeff Peterson or Jeff Peterson? In England, we'd say Peterson. I think in America, it would be Peterson, and I just don't know what to say. So I'm looking for you for guidance. No, it is Peterson. Where have who has said Peterson? Peterson that made you think that? I've never heard that in my life. Well, it's you know what it is. Who, who um, is influencing you and besmirching the name of, of Americans? <laughs> so in this is maybe so maybe it's the other way around. I've see because I cross between like English and American. I actually get that's true actually. Which yeah, that that is um, fair. Peterson is South African, right? And there's a lot of South African people in England. And sometimes you see people with the name, it's spelt Peterson, but the way you say it is Peterson in this country. So I'm actually getting confused now. So it's it's Jeff Peterson. That is what you're telling me. Yes. Yes. Jeff Peterson. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm locking that in. Uh, Jeff Peterson. Those four names. Um, now, that's interesting because I published on allhornets.com a top 10 candidates to replace Mitch Kupchak, which was pre-written as those people will know. And I, I told Chase about this article many months ago. So Chase will vouch for me that, that this was written long before Wojnarowski. And I had as my top three names that I'd heard linked to the role, Jeff Peterson, Elton Brand, and Mark Eversley, who wasn't mentioned on Wodger's report. And interestingly in Mark Eversley, what I heard was that he was in New York this summer and uh, I can't tell you how, but came across the new owners and they formed a relationship for the first time. So I know Mark Eversley was a name that had been thrown out in the past because of his links to Michael Jordan, right? Um, that he was, uh, I think, used to work for Nike and, and Jumpman and everything with Michael Jordan. So it wouldn't surprise me if Jordan maybe introduced Eversley to the new owners because rich men circles and all those things. Um, but that isn't a name that I've heard from Wodge which I have heard name has come up as someone. Um, so that that's an interesting one. I think that's one to keep an eye out maybe if we get some other future reports here. But wh which of these other names stood out to you, Chase? I mean, the one that wasn't mentioned in the initial tweet, I think the one that he he had, Woj had like two separate tweets where he mentioned names uh, that have been rumored for this job. One, I think he like quote tweeted his original report and the other one was a reply. Uh, he, I think one of them, he mentioned Travis Schlenk. I would imagine that he is oh. going to be maybe on top of Jeff Peterson. I would imagine he's going to be probably the strongest linked uh, candidate to this position. 
obviously worked for Atlanta for many years as the GM lead decision maker there, while Rick Schnall was also in Atlanta as a minority owner. I'm sure they know each other very well. I would imagine that, you know, there were all those reports that came out like right after the deadline that it was the new owners that were making these decisions and shipping out a lot of the players that were yeah. traded by the Hornets over the so last I heard, week or so. That's what I heard as well. I reported that too. Yep. That um, I think Mike Lassett reported that. And then I kind of, I was waiting for someone else to share it because uh, I wanted uh, I didn't want to be person reference as person breaking news. I, I'm not really comfortable with that. But yeah, I, I heard that as well. I agree. There, there was definitely external advisors here. Um, right. And from, I would imagine that he I was heard, one but, of them. Would be my yeah, guess. I, would, would to Rick Schnall at least, maybe not Plotkin, but I would imagine Travis Schlenk. And he's was, Travis Schlenk, one of those guys. And he's currently in the front office of the Washington Wizards. In the new front office, there was brought over in the summer um, after yeah spending time with both the Warriors as the assistant general manager and also the Hawks. Uh, very interestingly, and I noted this in a mailback episode on AllHornets.com, uh, a mailback article that he has. And an incredible amount of experience, Schlenk, building teams around lead point guards. Okay, he had Steph Curry in uh, Golden State. He had Trey Young in Atlanta. Like, he has learned lessons. He's had successes and misses in both. And I think that's very interesting when you look at one Lamella Ball in Charlotte, where you have some of the same difficulties in terms that you have around Trey Young. He'll have learned a lot by that. And I think that would maybe stand him in good stead, knowing what can and can't work. Yeah, and another one of the names that I thought was interesting that wasn't mentioned um, in the Woes tweet, but one that you mentioned as well was Nazi Muhammad, uh, mm. former Charlotte Bobcat. Uh, he is the director of team personnel for the Oklahoma City Thunder right now. He's obviously somebody that has playing experience extensively. He was pretty recently, I think, retired, maybe in like the mid 2010s. He's been a GM for the OKC uh, G League franchise, the OKC Blue. Uh, just somebody that has like league experience, along with Elton Brand, was somebody that uh, Woj had mentioned as well. But I'm sure we'll have a more extension, ex- extensive discussion on him too. But just somebody that I thought was interesting that you had mentioned as well, but maybe more of an under the radar candidate, but somebody that could fit if they're looking to kind of bring in like a new group of people, like just allow, like allow them to build their own culture from the ground up. He would be somebody that's in a new role, has no connection to the organization really other than his playing time and would kind of get to set the tone as the new president of basketball operations or general manager. Yeah. And they want to get younger. I can tell you that from what yes. I've heard, they they want to have a new younger, someone I think you can maybe relate a little bit more to players Um who comes with a different energy, let's say, than maybe Mitch Kupchak. Um, so that is that that Naz Muhammad would definitely fit that bill. Um, you know, that's very interesting. Um, let's do Elton Brand. Okay. This is, <laughs> I can tell you right now, this is going to be the most unpopular name that every single Hornets fan will go, I didn't mind who we hire apart from Elton Brand because. In his tenure with the Philadelphia 76ers, it was a pretty, pretty uh, bleak one. And it was Daryl Morey who was brought in kind of above his head uh, when they weren't really going anywhere and kind of steadied the ship now. But I can I can already tell people Elton Brand was involved in a little bit of the end of the process with Philadelphia. And that is going to be the unpopular name. Absolutely. He was like the 
very weird middleman for the Colangelo era that ended terribly with the the burner accounts and the ties and the or the sweaters and finding a new slant. I think was the the meme that came from that, and then the Daryl Mora Daryl Morey era that was completely synonymous with ushering in James Harden and then pretty promptly ushering him out at the beginning of this season. So it was, it, he just, I completely agree that this is going to be the most unpopular polarizing name in this entire search. I uh, definitely would not say that he had a successful tenure as general manager. I don't know if I would say it was like unsuccessful necessarily either. Cause the Sixers are obviously still a good regular season team. They've just really, and regardless of who's been in charge as a lead decision maker, they've never been able to break through in the playoffs Joel Embiid has obviously been a very good player throughout any GM's tenure regardless. So, yeah, it's just it, – it would be very – I don't know what people's reaction would be. Like the consensus reaction, I guess, would be if he I, well, was hired or even like was like on the short list of candidates like down the process or down the line so of the process here. It would be the reaction would be, reaction. oh, my God, what have the Hornets done? And then within half an hour, people would go – Oh, actually, no, no, I can understand they took themselves into it. <laughs> right. Because that's, yeah, that's what exactly. happens with any hire. What are you going to do? Sit there for the next five years and go, we should never have hired Elton Brand. It's like 2028. 20, and you're just going to like <laughs> people just move on with these things really quickly. They have a preference. And then as soon as the hire happens, that preference gets thrown out the window, uh, you know, from a fan base. Uh, this is one thing I will say about Elton Brand. He is one of the few names on this list who has experience actually leading a front office himself. He's not doing it now, but he did do it for a couple of seasons. And look, all these up and coming names, they're all great. But until you are the guy, there is a massive difference in running an organization as opposed to working within it. And the fact that Elton Brand got that experience early and yet it didn't go great. But if he's learned from that, that is so important. And like how many times you know, that have you made mistakes in your life professionally, right? And those mistakes are some of the biggest things that define you and build you as a candidate because you learn from that and you adapt. Now, some people make the same mistakes over and over and not everyone does. But I don't think that if Brand was hired, there should just be this wave of, oh my God, what have we done? I think you're you're bringing someone in who's had a taste of leading in the big chair. Um, he's had now an opportunity to work under someone like Daryl Morey, one of the best in the business. Um, he's obviously a high character individual. The fact he's still getting looks even now after that previous experience. So I would be, I just stopped short a little bit of the immediate gut reaction that I think the Elton brand name will solicit. Yeah. I mean, this is just a very brief rundown of his transactions. Like he traded Wilson Chandler, Mike Muscala, Landry Shamet, and a first for Tobias Harris, Boban and Mike Scott and a couple seconds or protected first objectively like a pretty neutral trade i feel like traded Fultz and jonathan simmons or traded Fultz for jonathan simmons and a second and a first that became tyrese maxi that's a good trade i would say trading Fultz for jonathan simmons and tyrese maxi uh and then after that he got drafted matisse tybel like traded uh jimmy butler to the heat in that massive like four team trade he traded. That's uh, the one, though. Bruno that's Fernando the one for a couple that, that seconds. Butler, like... That Butler trade, you know, away. That's, that's the exact oh, guy oh, yes. Philly have needed, right? Um, yes, you know, I agree. That, but I think killer. that was more motivated by Jimmy Butler wanting to play for the Heat than the Sixers not wanting 
Jimmy Butler necessarily. Well, they, want, they chose to pay correctly. Tobias Harris instead of J- Jimmy Butler. That was the history. They were both approaching free agency, oh, okay. from my memory. Okay. I and that, it was they could only keep one of them, and they kept Tobias Harris, which I think there was a famous Jimmy Butler after they beat Philly one time saying, Tobias Harris over me to the camera. Um, a few years later, <laughs> rubbing it in a very Jimmy Butler way. And I, in terms of his draft history, I can't remember quite the years. Did, did he select Okafor and Fultz or was Okafor previous regime? Uh, no, that was the previous regime. His first draft was Ty Jerome, uh, Matisse Teibel, uh, Admiral Schofier, no, Mariel Shayok. The, yeah, Ty Jerome, Matisse Teibel, and yeah. Mariel Shayok was his... Uh, first draft I so believe. which i ended up which actually just some. ended up being matisse tybel because they traded ty jerome for him so yeah just yeah. tied Ty uh, matisse tybel and merrill shayok i think those were the only picks he okay. even ever made because the sixers always trade their draft picks yeah so um and then he fired brett brown and hired doc rivers so i mean th- that's really like the totality of his moves because that was just it was two seasons that he was in charge and then that was it they finished but the fact that they had to bring and... in daryl Morey a- ahead of him right that is code right. for we don't quite trust you running this big show. Like we like you, we want you to be part of it, but we don't think you should be the guy. And I think that's the thing that will set a lot of people's, you know, spider senses off of worrying. Yes. Um, another name, Jeff Peterson. Um, now this is an interesting one. We've been hearing this since the summer of 2023. Jeff Peterson being linked to Charlotte. Um, now what I've heard is there is some uncertainty if Jeff Peterson would actually leave Brooklyn to come to Charlotte. Um, he's a very settled family. I think there are future opportunities in Brooklyn if he were to remain there to progress within the organization. And even though he is the name that I have heard the most, I think there is also some uncertainty about whether they will be able to pry him away from Brooklyn. So this is where maybe you start talking about how big does that you know salary number go? Um, you know, how much decision-making are you going to have? How much oversight? You know, all of these things be very interesting, I think, um, when it comes to negotiating with Jeff Peterson. But that is something that I, I have heard. Um, the fact that his name is still being floated around to me suggests that it the, the idea is not dead. And I think that is a, a suggestion that maybe this has moved in a positive direction. Yeah, and like you said, there is clearly an upward trajectory in Brooklyn right now. Like Sean Mark seems like his job security is like relatively intact right now. But if this Brooklyn Nets team doesn't rebuild, maybe in the way that Joe Sy is envisioning, you would imagine that Jeff Peterson is kind of the next guy in line for that. And like you said, if his family is locked down in Brooklyn, there's really no reason for him to kind of go with this huge, like this, the undertaking that would be rebuilding the Hornets and resetting the culture is like pretty significant for somebody that would be doing that for the first time. So that might be the one advantage that somebody like Elton Brand or Travis Schlank would have is that they've at least like been in this position before. So there are many things that they're not going to have to adjust to per se that someone like Jeff Peterson or Nazi Muhammad or anybody else that would take this that hasn't had any experience would have. But yeah, I, I, he, I think he would be for me at least like, and GM is such a difficult thing to like truly have a preference for because we don't know like, the inner workings of the decisions that are made by each franchises, like what trades or signings or draft picks have been the most influenced by Jeff Peterson during his tenure with Brooklyn. We have no idea as a public, 
really. Like, unless, like, there are a select few reporters that have, like, strong sources within the Nets front office that probably know. But other than that, that's really it. Like, the only things that we can really tell are for guys like Elton Brand or Travis Schlenk, who have, like, a public history of transactions. And other than that, like, we just kind of have to infer but from my inferences jeff peterson would be like my early preference and favorite just mm. with the youth and the success or long-standing ties that he's had in brooklyn at least i feel like that's a good sign would just be a good thing to usher in like a new group of front office employees with a guy that's got some experience as a second in command at least yeah so i think my preference is going to be a name that we haven't heard yet and that is trajan langdon who is the GM of the New Orleans Pelicans, working under uh, Vice President of uh, Basketball Operations, David Griffin. Um, Langdon, from what I've heard, a lot of players, or should I say a lot of league personnel, almost credit Langdon more than some of New Orleans' recent success than David Griffin. Um, He seems to be the person who I think a lot of teams go to speak to. Um, He is has a quite a large role as a GM. Um, so I think that's very interesting. Uh, he was another guy who was assistant GM with the Brooklyn Nets. So I think it wouldn't surprise me again if Schnall, Plotkin have some links, if they're already linked in to Jeff Peterson with Brooklyn, because he was formerly uh, with, with the Hawks, I believe. Um, I'm doubting myself now I'm saying that, but I feel like there was definitely a Hawks link at some point. Yes, he was. Um then I think there's obviously some some links there as well with Langdon. And Chase, do you want to know how deep I got down a rabbit hole? I'm about to really impress you here. Okay, so here we go. Let did you it. know? Yeah. Trajan Langdon. I was like, I wonder, like, I know he went to Duke. Okay. I wonder if he's got any North Carolina ties. So I started looking into where he grew up. Grew up in California. Moved to Anchorage, actually. Interesting. Um, cool. But his wife was Russian. Okay. Met her playing overseas, playing for CSK Moscow. Um, his sons play basketball. I was like, where do his sons play basketball, right? Do they play in North Carolina? No, they don't. No, I couldn't find. However, his sister, Chase, Trajan Langdon's sister, Trista Langdon, worked for the Charlotte Bobcats for 16 years as VP of Arena of Events and Operations and founder of the Charlotte Hornets EDI Council. She led on the uh, uh, the COVID year all the operations to do with that she led on the rebrand of from the bobcats to the hornets arena you were talking about trojan langdon's sister being one of the major business operations staff for 16 years with that franchise that is a link you cannot ignore wow yeah see you're not going to get that kind of digging anywhere else this is something that you're only going to find on the All Hornets Podcast Network at Inside the Hive via James Plowright. That is incredible research. That is 16 years. Like, she knows the inner workings of this organization better Everything. than literally anybody, maybe, that is currently still there. Like, Mitch Kupchak is in, what, I think his sixth season uh, in charge is what he is going to finish as after this year. She has an extra 10 years on Mitch. Like, th- that is somebody that you can go to from Trajan Langdon's perspective and get like a Mm -hmm. very genuine, insightful opinion on like what it is like to work there, what it is like to live there in Charlotte. 
like she now works for the Washington area. football team as well. So she no longer works for the Bobcats, which means she would actually be able right. to talk to him, right? Exactly. It's not like exactly. she works for the team and she wouldn't be able to. So so she's completely free now to, to speak to him. That is that is a very strong link right there. That's really interesting. And I, I'm if we hear Trajan Langdon like down the line as somebody that's you know, once the list has been narrowed down, like is still there, like that that would be interesting to explore, like if he ends up getting hired or even if he yeah. doesn't, if that was something that had any influence at all. That is that's very interesting. So, Quality research, James. Very well done. Thank you. I I will take credit for that one because you know you sometimes go down these rabbit holes looking for something and you never really know what you're looking for. And then sometimes you just stumble across like pieces of gold and you're like, oh wow, like I don't think anyone else knows this yet. So uh, no, yeah. definitely the, not. The last name I want to touch on is Mike Gansey, which again, from what I understand, he wasn't a name that I even had in my top 10 list. And I've reached out to some people just this afternoon. And very much a new name in the cycle. He has been a recent emergee who has, has kind of come out there. Not someone who I think was getting spoken about a couple of months ago. I will say I've also heard some of these very preliminary, I wouldn't call them interviews, like preliminary discussions to gauge interest with some of these candidates. They've been happening for months, Chase. They've not waited until now. You know, there's been phone calls. I don't know if there's been any meetings. Um, I, I would not surprise me if there had been off the record, but this has been an ongoing process in the background since the start of the season. They are not just starting from kind of the bottom floor now. But Mike Gans is a name. Uh, interestingly, he was featured in Jake Fisher's like future front office stars kind of piece that he writes every summer, as were some of these other names we've already listed. Um, but he's the general manager of the Cleveland Cavaliers. And he's made a considerable impression among league executives for his interpersonal strengths and overall grasp of the NBA marketplace. He went out and drafted out of West Virginia, which is very interesting, and then had a career half a decade playing overseas. Um, so, yeah, he was very involved in swiping all-star center Jarrett Allen in that James Harden trade, also adding Donovan Mitchell. And then the two additions this past season of adding Max Struess and George Niang was very involved with all of those. So, Another name that I hadn't heard too much, I need to look into a little bit more, but definitely an interesting one. I mean, I'm finding on Wikipedia as we speak that he played at West Virginia uh, in those early 2000s teams with Kevin Pitsnoggle, which is like an all-time college basketball name. So that's a very cool fact um, that he was on that team with Kevin Pitsnoggle. Pitsnoggle uh, for assistant yeah. GM? Right, yeah, Kevin, Mike Gansey, GM, Kevin Pitsnoggle, assistant GM. We got to reunite them, bring back some of the whatever success they had at West Virginia at that time. But yeah, I mean, I also love a guy that came up in the G League. Uh, he was a in charge of the uh, Canton Charge at the time, which is now the Cleveland Charge, uh, for one season, I believe, before he went up and became the assistant GM under uh, Kobe Altman in 2017. Uh, he's been the GM and since has been, I think he still works under Kobe Altman technically, but he's now the GM of the Cavs and Kobe Altman, I believe is the president of basketball operations. So has been kind of working in tandem with him for quite some time now. And I mean, the Cavs have been, you know, in many different places as a franchise over that time, they've been a rebuilding team that's near the bottom of the league. And now they've worked all the way back up to a team with, multiple all-stars superstar level talents and are threatening to win a championship or at least make a deep run in the eastern conference so that's somebody that's experienced the highs and lows of the nba not as a lead decision maker but definitely has 
a wealth of knowledge of how to deal with various different situations that can be thrown at you, which as we've seen over the past two years of Hornets basketball, nothing is predictable and you can't really plan for anything. So it's good to have a guy that's kind of had to deal with that before. So that he at least has that going for him. And also yeah. is the the brother of, of Steve Gansey, who is a, a G League coach, I believe, as well. So deep basketball ties in the, in the Gansey family. So it's always good to see. There's going to be a lot more of this over the next month, maybe two months. Updates, you know, we're going to probably get interview lists, second interviews. This list is going to get narrowed down. We'll be covering it all here on allhornets.com. Um, but thank you for, for breaking this news before we recorded today. Um, I was just having that discussion, Chase. Is that not getting you excited? Like, you know, for the relaunch of this franchise, the change, um, having that new blood coming in. We're going to talk about some of the players just here in a minute, but it, I really feel like I've been reinvigorated. Like in the middle of another one of these kind of depressing seasons, this is, I feel like the Hornets are making the changes everyone has been waiting for now for the last two seasons. And it's finally happening. I mean, these last four days, like it, we're recording this Monday morning, February 12th. The trade deadline was only last Thursday, February 8th. These last four days is like literally the dawn of a new era for the Charlotte Hornets organization. Like they traded two key players from the last handful of years, along with PJ Washington, who was a, one of their best role players in the last handful of years and a homegrown talent. Their lead decision maker has stepped down. Like they're the, they're what half of the roster. I think it was a technically over 50% of the roster was traded and swapped out at, at the deadline. And they basically have a new team. The only constant right now is, is Steve Clifford and, we all know that he's on an expiring contract and is very well could be replaced coming up in the summer, as if, especially if there's a new lead decision maker to take Mitch Kupchak's place by then. Like this is the, quite literally the beginning of the new era of Charlotte Hornets basketball from top all the way to the bottom, which is something we haven't been able to say really since like the team yeah. came back to Charlotte in 2004. Like I, I don't think there have been wholesale changes in this way since then. Like it, it's honestly, I'm, it is very exciting to have, to be able to have something like this I to agree. look forward to. The, the top being Mitch Kupchak and ownership, the bottom being James Booknight. <laughs> top to bottom <laughs> yeah, changes. Uh, yeah. All the way from ownership to, the the 16th man on a 15 man roster we yeah. we are making changes that is for sure um and we're not going to talk about the trade deadline like quickly but spoiler we both effing loved it <laughs> like yeah. we, we were messaging each other um both of us uh i think the charlotte hornets made some the fact that they're able to generate that amount of picks and players uh and high upside pick in the dallas trade um and they moved on from james Bucknight ish smith Frank Nilakina. I don't think any of us have any issues with who they moved on from. Um, just, just kind of positive news all around. I think better probably in the short term and in the long term, and with not sacrificing that much salary flexibility. So, yeah, just a we're we're a big fan of basically everything. I think I gave an A minus and an A to the two trades in my trade grades. So, um, yeah, looking forward to seeing these guys the rest of the season and seeing what those picks turn into. Okay, before we move on to the next section, I want to tell you that this podcast is brought to you by allhornets.com, a credential Charlotte Hornets outlet powered by Sports Illustrated. Allhornets.com's aim is to bring you 360-degree coverage on all things Charlotte Hornets, from breaking news, rumors, 
fan Q&As and in-depth analysis. Allhornets.com covers it all and nobody does it better. Chase, I challenged you uh, after watching that Memphis game and we're recording this on Monday afternoon uh, before the, the next game against the Pacers. We've only seen one game against probably the only team that's more injured than the Charlotte Hornets in the NBA being the Memphis Grizzlies. So we we can't overreact, but we have to talk about it. Um, I've asked you to kind of come up with some like glass half full, glass half empty player scouting reports, kind of what fans think they can expect from these new additions. And then also I've got some comparisons as well for the glass half full, glass half empty. So Chase, we're going to start for Trey Mann. What do you think Hornets fans can expect from Trey Mann going forward for this rest of this season and probably next year too? All right, so with a glass half full approach, yes, and like you said, this season and next season was just a. This was my favorite trade. Just to preface this whole thing, this was my favorite trade that they made to be able to, and this is something I've harped on for a while. Turn that thirty-three million dollar or thirty million dollar salary slot from Gordon Hayward into other players that make more money, so you can then package those players into larger trades for maybe somebody that Gordon Hayward alone wouldn't be able to get you, but cobbled together with those players with high salaries and more picks, you can get something. And that's exactly what they put themselves in position to do here. You have Bertans making money, Trey Mann, who is a high upside young player that's going to be making $5 million next year on top of the 3.2 this year. So still got another year on that rookie contract before you even have to sign him. He's still 23. So a lot to look forward to with him. And then Michich is making, I think, $7 million over the next two seasons. So tons of money there that you can turn or that you've turned that $30 million into and into productive players as well. It's when the biggest upside of which is Trey Mann easily. Somebody who's like, I think with a glass half full approach here is going to be a like point leaning combo guard, create shots for himself from beyond the arc. We've already seen that step back three is like deadly. It stops on a dime, covers so much ground moving backwards. And to a certain degree, I think he along with Micic, is going to like mimic LaMelo's play style as like a deep range shot creator. He's obviously not the playmaker in any way, uh, but he can shoot with range. He can drive and finish with his athleticism, and he can at least create and distribute out of ball screens. Somebody that way you could pencil in as a rotation caliber player probably for the next two years. And then once that contract is up, you can look at what he's shown you and kind of go with that going forward. And you can mold his role to what the team needs kind of and balance that scoring and distributing out a little bit like i said still has a ton of youth that i think he's yeah he's 23 years old exactly his athleticism gives him a ton of upside is my favorite trade piece that the hornets got in return for anybody that they dealt at the deadline here so very excited to watch trey man had a very good debut as well nine points nine assists kind of displayed what i was talking about as like a point leaning combo that can create a little bit distribute when needed and just be whatever the team needs him to be in a moment in the in a given moment. So excited to Can watch you, Trey Mann. What about you, James? Yeah, I'm I'm interested to see it. Look, Trey Mann in that, that draft. I was going to ask you where you had him on your big board in that mm-hmm. draft. I looked at my big board. I think I had him in like the mid to late 30s, and he went 21 overall, I believe. So, look straight off the bat from when he was selected, I would have said not a great spot for Trey Mann to be selected. I wasn't. I wasn't a first round grade in him. I always thought he was just like so skinny and relied on like pull-up shots and struggled to do that much else. I will say in his first game, I thought his passing really stood out to me. His two-man game with Nick Richards, um, I thought he'd be a little bit more of an aggressive shot taker than than passing the ball. 
Um, and it was interesting that he said in his introductory press conference, I really feel I made progress as a passer this past off season, which that's not often something you hear like in, you know, in an off season passing being the thing. But I think you saw that in the first game, you know, those nine assists were, were, you know, very high for him. So, you know, he's not someone who is going to be attacking the rim. Like if you think Dennis Smith Jr., how he used to attack the rim, uh, you know, Trey Mann is like going to pull up for a, a floater. I think he's never shot over 51% of the rim. He doesn't really get to the foul line. You know, he's super skinny, even though he can jump. He's just not that comfortable attacking the rim and drawing fouls. But as, as a kind of glass half full guy, I went, you know, I think there's some upside here, really, as a, as a combo guard. And I went Reggie Jackson. Okay, career Reggie Jackson. If you think about starting with OKC as well, similar to Trey Mann was a combo guard, point shooting guard, like not a fantastic shooter, but good enough. Quick, bursty, moved the ball. Um, like at, with times was good enough to start in his career, but was probably always better suited to be a sixth man. Um, and I, I think like if if he lives up to everything, he ticks all the boxes, fills all his potential that he has. I think you could have a, a Reggie Jackson type. Um, glass half empty. The shot never comes around. Um, he's, you know, continues to just kind of struggle to impact the games in, in other ways. Maybe that passing game is just a one-off. I went Nushan Highland, who's playing for the Clippers right now, glued to the bench, got moved from Denver last year. Like just a, a scoring guard that kind of takes a lot of pull-up threes. And then what else do you do for me? So those are my glass half full, glass half empty takes for Trey Mann. Yeah, my glass half empty take is kind of like, just somebody that has a lot of overlap with Nick Richards, which is just not what you're aiming for when you're in the process of rebuilding and remaking you mean Nick your Smith. roster. Nick Smith. Or Nick not, Smith. Not Nick Smith. Nick Sorry. Not Nick Richards. Not <laughs> Nick like, Richards. Definitely how, very little overlap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're both rim running uh, centers with the seven <laughs> foot frame. Yeah. No, not quite. Yeah. Uh, Nick, Nick Smith and Trey Mann will have a lot of overlap, yeah. I think, with the That a is glass the thing. How do they? Approach. Can they play? Can you think they can play together? I don't. Right now, definitely not. Definitely not at the moment. But that is with the caveat that Trey Mann, I think, is like actually a rotation player right now, and Nick Smith is not. So that is mostly why they are not able to play together. Nick Smith is a rotation player on a team that the Hornets had a week ago when everyone was hurt and they had really no outlook towards the the future and no hope of competing this year. Might as well have just given minutes to recent draft picks that can maybe not affect the team or impact winning, but are going to be able to at least play through their struggles. Now they have guys that can actually play, which is what Steve Clifford has been begging for all wow. season and all of last season. Trey Mann is one of those guys, as you see by him starting in his very first appearance with the team. I think that like, if you are going to look at this negatively, he's just going to block Nick Smith from playing or vice versa, like if Nick Smith has a good start to the year or end of the year or whatever, he's going to block Trey Mann from playing, and you're just not going to get the upside out of either one of them that you envision them having when you drafted them or traded for them. I think that's possible, right? There is definitely a lot of overlap here. Um, they are two very skinny guards who lack physicality, um, and you don't see many NBA backcourts with two guys like that in at the same time. But... Like equally, this isn't a charity for players now. Like Nick Smith, you gotta earn your way now. Like you've got a guy you can go up against, you've got a guy you need to beat out to try and get in the rotation. Hornets get two bites at the apple with that guy. 
Um, so I, I like what I saw in the first game from Trey Mann. I'm, I'm interested to see what sort of opportunity he gets coming forward. Um, let's move on. Grant Williams, um, kind of probably the biggest headline because of the, the nature of his contract. Four, he's going to be here four years if he's not traded. Okay, for just just uh, I think just above the MLE. Um, what is your glass half full, glass half empty take on Grant Williams? This is the guy that Hornets fans wanted the team to trade for in terms of his attitude, his willingness to mix it up, talk trash, be physical, get under the skin of opponents. And the hope is that that's going to be infectious and just spread throughout the team, throughout the locker room, especially the young players that are kind of just learning habits right now and maybe like trying to figure out what kind of NBA player they are. If Grant can influence them at all to be somebody that's not afraid to mix it up, that is a positive. He is like truly a potential culture setter, like back mm -hmm. in his hometown. He's a difference maker potentially in the community as well, because he is like a very genuine and nice guy off the court. And I actually I have a personal anecdote about this, by the way. Yeah. So when Grant, when Grant Williams was in Boston uh, a couple years ago, for the, the newer listeners that may not know this, I'm sure the older ones have heard me say it before, I work in public relations for the main Celtics, the Boston Celtics G League team. Uh, when Grant was in Boston a couple years ago, around Christmas time, he bought a gift card to a spa in that area for every single Celtics employee and gave it to them in like a like nicely packaged like Christmas like bag with the gift card inside with a note that said like Merry Christmas enjoy the holidays with you and your family from Grant Williams and he gave that to every single person that worked in the organization I work in Maine and he played in Boston and he sent that up to every single person that worked R in our What office. to the Maine yes. Celtics staff too Yes yes he sent it to every single wow. person it was a night it was a note that I believe was handwritten with it or his own signature at the bottom so he's obviously somebody that like is more than willing to go above and beyond for everybody that works in the organization, not just people that like play with him on the team or are coaching him or are the ones that decide what how much he makes on his contract or whether or not he gets traded. Like he is just a genuinely like very nice dude off the court, which is something that, you know, is valued in every single organization and the Hornets are more than lucky to have a guy like that come into the locker room mid-season after having only a half of season in Dallas and just getting like a fresh start so quickly. Like on, on top of all the off the court stuff too, like we've seen that he can fill a role off the bench. He can knock down threes. He can be physical on the interior. He can guard those like bigger, stronger players, even being a little undersized himself. He could probably start on the spot if needed. Yep. Like, there, I mean, he can fill a role for you on top of being like a, a locker room off the court leader as well, which that, that is in the glass half full approach. Like he's a guy that sticks around on that contract just based off of those two things. What have we been saying the Hornets need for the last six months? Toughness, defense, three point shooting, leadership. Grant Williams ticks those all those boxes, like all of them. All of them. Uh, we, we talked about it in the summer that. I think PJ Washington is maybe a, a higher upside player, more talented. Uh, but in terms of what this team needs specifically, I think I said at the time, I think Grant Williams probably fits this team's needs more. Um, just in that very first game, and we saw Jaron Jackson Jr. just having his way with Nick Richards. He's going to be having nightmares about guarding Jaron Jackson Jr. 
they put Grant Williams on him, and I would love to see the stats. I should have looked them up before the podcast or when he was being guarded by Grant because Grant did a fantastic job on Jaron Jackson Jr. And it was like the first time I've watched a Hornets game in so long where they've just gone, let's just put this guy on their best player and he'll shut him down. And Because that is generally kind of what happened. Like Jaron really struggled with Grant on the floor. Um, and I think you'll get to see like Grant is a guy and he had this quote post game, like everyone was touching the ball. Everyone was involved. I don't think he's a guy who just wants to stand in the corner, like Dorian Finney Smith with in Dallas with Luca and just like shoot threes. When I pass you the ball, he wants to be involved. He needs to feel connected. He needs to feel invested. He had that in Boston. And I think there's a real opportunity in Charlotte because of the style that fits them best for him to have that. Um, so I'm I'm really curious to see. Just like I lo- I I lo- really like what I've seen from Grant Williams. Like more so like off the court, the way he speaks to the media, which will always be a you know he's obviously a cerebral smart guy, uh, but just the way that he he communicates with his teammates. This team needs that. Now there was all these reports in Boston, and Dallas. You know, does he get under the skin of people? Does his antics annoy people? And uh, I think there's you know there's no smoke without fire. There's definitely an element to that. But to, well like. Maybe he's learned from some of that, right? And like that's not always been taken that well. But Nico Harrison, the Dallas GM, actually came out after the trade deadline and said, everyone gives Grant Williams a lot of stick for like, you know, being a bad teammate. He's a great teammate, and that is unfair criticism. And he did not have to do that after they've traded him away. It'd be much be easier just to say nothing and let everyone, you know, pile on the discourse. But he has the respect and connection that he wanted to do that. And I think that means something. So already I can see myself. I think I'm going to be a Grant Williams fan, uh, but he has to try and find a way to connect to his teammates in a positive way, not just be the guy who's always talking, always chirping, telling everyone what to do. Because that, like, if you do that to the point where you're uh, like annoying people or getting under people's skin or stopping that human connection, stopping those personal relations, then you just become white noise and people tune you out. So it's a good start, but I'm interested to see how this plays out. I'm I'm really hopeful that the team embrace him. Um, you know, he's very different character personality-wise to someone like Lamella Ball, like other end of the spectrum. In terms of NBA players, if there's over here and over here, they are at other ends of the spectrum. But maybe there's just a chance that these two guys get on and they work together. And if that's the case, then I think this could be a really, really smart move for the Charlotte Hornets. I don't know. See, I am completely with you in the glass half empty approach off the court. I think that is a, a slight possibility, but I I do agree that it's probably like been exaggerated maybe by the media and just the online discourse over the last couple of weeks. I don't think he's like somebody that like is legitimately bothersome to his teammates or whatever, which is what you would be led to believe if you read everything online. But on the court, I'm not as fond of his fit on the team, I think, as you may be or as many other people may be. I don't consider, and I think this is the main reason why I don't really consider him to be like all that good of a defender. Maybe even like slight. He might even be like slightly below average in my eyes. Yeah. He doesn't generate the statistics. Advanced statistics that back you up. Like the, the yes. advanced stats, you look at all the percentage. They're not good, right? They're not good. I agree with you. So yeah, c- continue. But there is you're not the only one to think this. I don't think. Right, but and like that, and this is part part of the reason why he was traded from Dallas after being there for only a half of a season is 
so far with them, the only way that he really affected the game was hitting open threes that were generated by Luca or Kyrie collapsing the defense and kicking the ball out to him. Right now, as a defender, in the la- each of the last two seasons, he has been below the 32nd percentile in steal and block percentage in both of those seasons. There's no category he's been higher than 32nd percentile, 1.1% block percentage with Dallas, under 1% in block and steal percentage in each of the other last two seasons. He's never been somebody that generates those at a high level. He isn't really a versatile defender either because he's pretty slow-footed on the perimeter. He's kind of just like an undersized big that's like 6'6 or 6'7 with some length and is more than strong enough to be able to bother those guys and kind of get underneath them like Joel Embiid or Giannis or just really any like bigger, more physical center that's somebody like Nick Richards who's maybe a sl- not even not physical but just like slightly thinner and isn't built like a Jonas Valanciunas or Steven Adams or Embiid or something like that. Grant can defend those guys and be the guy that is like your your matchup dependent player for that type of thing. I just don't necessarily view him as like a permanent role player. He is like a matchup guy to me, like where you can just put him in the game, space him out as like a small ball four or five in the corner, and then defensively he can guard like a guy that's a bit bigger and more physical than him or even or anybody else you have at that position. I think your points are completely valid. Um, all I would say is my eye test, both more when he was in Boston. I didn't watch a lot of him in Dallas this year. But when he was in Boston, watching him guard Giannis in that playoff series, watching him guard Jaron right. Jackson Jr., he is the best like forward defender I've seen, uh, well, who's currently on this Hornets roster. So like all those stats, I'm kind of tempted. It doesn't surprise me because he's not someone who, get, who reaches in for steals. He's not someone who leaves his feet to try and block shots. He plays like smart, positional basketball. He is the opposite of a guy chasing stats. He is just like completely focused on the team. And the other thing, he's a communicator. So he's a guy like you can even hear him during the game the other night. Like he is talking all the time about what the coverage is, calling it out. And that's the kind of stuff that this Hornets team, like Clifford has said it time and time again, they don't communicate. So I don't think he'll ever, uh, you know, like those steal and block percentages. That is never going to improve, I don't think. But his impact when you see is him on the floor, I just the eye test just doesn't lie to me, and that's what I see. Um, for glass half full, glass half empty, I went glass half full. A blend of Otto Porter, Dorian Finney-Smith, and PJ Tucker. Okay, like a a defensive floor spacer, basically, uh, and a glass half empty. We're going deep here, Chase. Jonas Jarebko, uh, you know, a guy who played for Detroit, like, was supposed to be a stretch four, came in, never quite shot it well enough, uh, never quite defended well enough, and ended up kind of, like, had one, I think, good season in Detroit and ended up being kind of out the league or at the end of a bench for large portions of his career. So uh, that's what I looked for for Grant Williams. See, my comparison, and, I mean, given what I just said about my employment status a couple minutes ago, I have previously to him going to Dallas, I have watched every minute of his career for the most part, or nearly every minute of his career in Boston. My comparison for him has always been if Brandon Bass grew up in modern basketball, but like (laughs) trained to be a football player, because that's like what he's built like is like, because Brandon Bass was a little bit bigger and thinner. But, like, if you just put Brandon Bass in, like, a modern system, that dude would just space out to the corner and just nail corner threes all day because that was his thing was, like, the baseline jumpers. 
And he wouldn't be getting to them off the dribble. He would just be getting to them as a spot-up guy, which I think is where your P.J. Tucker comparison comes in. But, I mean, he is just like corner threes, defense against fours and fives. Grant has like a little bit of passing in there as well from like the high elbows and the free throw line. They use that a little bit in Boston, much more so than they did in Dallas. From the need to use it more in Charlotte, like yeah, no, I I definitely think Cliff will too. That's like something that I think he'll he'll be very happy to be able to tap into. When he came out the draft, he played a Tennessee, right? It was a Tennessee. Yeah, he was like he was like kind of a wing at Tennessee, even like he wasn't really he he was a post passer. They like they they like posted him up all the time and so much of that offense was driven out of his passing in the post and he's just not been able to show that i really hope charlotte looked to try and tap back into that passing ability as well um whoever thought that you were going to get a brandon bass and a jonas jerebko reference on a podcast have those two names ever been said in the same podcast i i don't know um, there's got to so be some deep cut, shout out like- us celtics podcast or something or orlando magic podcast that's talked about those guys but yeah. That's got to be the only overlap other than Next me. up, Vasily Micic. Vasily Micic. Um, over to you. Give us your glass half full, glass half empty on Micic. So my glass half full is honestly like fairly similar to Trey Mann, obviously without like the long-term upside things because Micic is a 30-year-old uh, former EuroLeague MVP. So the 30-year-old comes with uh, a bit of a qualifier there. So we've got some experience behind it, but... I really think that given his contract status and uh, the ability that he showed in approximately one game (laughs) on top of what he showed in the EuroLeague and with the Thunder, I actually think there's a chance that he could be the backup for LaMelo or a third guard behind LaMelo for the duration of his contract that also, like Trey Mann, can mimic his play style a little bit. And where that comes in, I think, for me, is more so as a passer than Mann is more of a scorer. Uh, But Mychic has that similar, like, flair and manipulation with his eyes and like making those super quick movements with like flipping his hands and his arms to like send passes in directions or at angles that the defense wasn't expecting like obviously not as good at it as Lamelo and doesn't have the athleticism or the height to generate it as often but he definitely has that similar like creativity as a playmaker we saw that in his debut and we also saw he can effectively balance scoring and distributing And he's at the age where like winning and building a culture and just being a part of something that's successful probably matters to him. Uh, And obviously as the former year league MVP, he's going to have some window or wisdom to impart uh, despite being new to the NBA himself and being in his rookie season. Technically he's obviously not the normal rookie. And I think he's going to be able to come in as we saw right away and be somebody that Steve Clifford can rely on to create offense for his teammates and create offense for himself to some degree. Yeah. He was super impressive in that Memphis game. I mean, really you know, good. he said in his introductory presser, like I'm best with the ball in my hands. And I think that's code for an OKC. That's not how they play. And they didn't play to strengths and he kind of struggled with that. Um, and, you know, the one thing I must think, if you're any of these players that you're not thrilled about getting traded to the Charlotte Hornets, I know there's the promise of playing time and maybe they were so frustrated that, that, you know, they were just happy with that, but you know, you are going to like the pits of the NBA. Like I, you can, I can imagine Michic saying to his agent, I, I don't mind if OKC traded me somewhere. Just, I hope it's not the Hornets. <laughs> you wouldn't surprise yeah, me. Like, can they just that. send me to the Lakers or something or the Clippers? <laughs> I can yeah. go make a championship run. <laughs> but like equally, 
just he looked like he had some basketball verve and i think he said in his post game mm-hmm. that he was impressed with how well that he played um and it was just great to have the opportunity again i think we've been talking about the hornets lacking a good backup point guard for a long 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 time now um you know there's a topic of many conversation over the offseason i think having him as a backup for a player who often gets injured in the mellow and having trey man i think it makes a lot of sense like I, I'm really interested to see him at the end of the season because I think we'll either say, no, we need to move him on. You know, there was a couple of good games, but across the rest of the season, he's not really the guy. Let's move him on in a, in a trade in the, in the summer if you can. Or you've got a reliable veteran backup point guard who makes life easier on everybody else for the next two two and a bit seasons. Um so, I mean, if Michic doesn't play well that first game, we're talking about this com- completely differently because we've just not seen a lot of him in NBA basketball. And there's worries about the defense, there's worries about the shot. But everything that we saw in, in the first game was was filling us with confidence. Um, my glass half full is, and I'm sticking down the Euro route here, I tried to find an American uh, comparison and I ran out of time. I, I was going to go Andre Miller, but that was like too lofty. <laughs> um, Jose Calderon. Uh, former Spanish point guard was like very traditional point. Calderon was probably a better shooter. He was actually one of the best three point shooters in the league. But in terms of just being like a game manager, high assist player, I think that's what you'll find. And then glass half empty, I went Zoran Dragic and Facundo Compazzo. Um, so two kind Ooh. of Euro point guards who who struggled to make an impact in their time and couldn't overcome and adjust to that NBA style and system really. Yeah, Compazzo, I think, is a good glass half empty comparison, like especially because the contract is this year and the next two seasons. Like maybe if everything goes poorly, like and he is basically reduced to trade fodder being with that seven million dollar salary being relatively movable for any team that acquires him. Like maybe he becomes like a buyout guy or just gets waived or something at the end of it, goes back to Europe in the same way that Compazzo did after being like he was on the Nuggets, played a pretty I mean, I don't want to say impactful, but maybe meaningful or substantial role is probably the best way to put it. Uh, And then he went to Dallas and kind of just faded out. And it became clear, at least to him, I would imagine that he was just going to have a much better career overseas and be much more meaningful and get more minutes, make more money, all that stuff. So there's a chance that Mitic does that as well, I think, if everything goes poorly. But like like we both said, I mean, if, if it goes well, you have a veteran guard that is at worst, like, a third a capable of being your third point guard and stepping up whenever you need him. And in the best case scenario is a guy that you can rely on for like 16 to 20 minutes a night to take the pressure off LaMelo and kind of keep the pace up, like mimic your style of play and allow you to still space and space the floor, make plays, run, pick and roll a lot. So he, he's a very interesting ad. Like he definitely yeah. not like the highest upside or like my favorite or the most splashy, but very interesting player. I mean, I think we saw that with that like deceleration, no look pass to Miles in the corner for the three. Like physical enough to take the bump, slow down, stay on balance, and then make that like deadly accurate kickout pass to the corner without even really looking. Like when you have and what is actually an open layup right in front of you, like he has basketball instincts, instincts, and he has some real creativity to the way that he plays. And it seems like it's going to be fun to watch. So. Looking forward to and, Vasa, as his nickname seems to be. And for those, I said Zoran Dragic, which is the brother of Goran. Just for yes, people who've been listening, saying Zoran, Goran Dragic, <laughs> very as a glass half empty, he does have a brother. He just didn't play that long in the NBA. 
Um, might, okay, might be last... why people might not remember him. <laughs> exactly. Okay, moving on. Last uh, player here. Um, oh, last couple. Seth Curry, Davis Batons. Give us your Seth Curry. I mean, I think people have probably seen Seth enough and know, so we can probably do this one a little bit, little bit shorter, I think. Yeah, I mean, both of these guys, like, the book is out on them as NBA players. Like, they're both in their 30s, at least I believe Bertans is in his 30s. Seth is definitely in his 30s. I, the glass half full approach here is it's just cool. Like, playing out the remainder of his career, <laughs> most likely, in his hometown, yeah. with his dad calling his game, wearing the number his dad made famous, like, another shooting specialist that spaces out the offense and will definitely have some fun moments playing off Lamella, like, pulling up in transition from a couple feet beyond the line, like every hitting those like, no, 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 no. Yes. Type of threes that we haven't really gotten since like Kelly Oubre left kind of, it'll be exciting to get that first moment and see what Eric's first call is for like a, a big Steph three or Seth three big Steph threes are coming in a couple of years that we're only in the yeah, first yeah. iteration. Yeah, exactly. Once Seth. the contract's expired. Right. Mm -hmm. right. This is the first step of the plan with Seth here. Steph is coming later on, but with Seth is going to still offer that same thing, obviously shooting runs in the family. I guess you could offer some secondary playmaking as just like a smart basketball player that can fit into any type of system really isn't going to offer a ton defensively given the size and age athleticism, but it's just another guy that's good to have has a marquee NBA skill, a hometown guy could make a difference in the community, much like Grant Williams, just, just a cool thing to have yeah. like, a Curry playing for the Charlotte Hornets. I, I think glass half full, I just went younger Seth Curry. <laughs> like if, if he were to redo some of the years yeah. he had at Brooklyn or in Dallas last time, I, I think that would be a huge success. Uh, the glass half empty is just injured, right? He is someone who has struggled with injuries. He's going back to since the Duke, really. And I think even though he's played in the NBA for a lot of seasons and he's played a lot of games, I think he's played a significant number of those games, probably managing injuries and playing hurt. So I think that's the, the big thing here. He is a team option for next year, which I think it's possible it could get picked up. Um, I think it would probably depend how he does this year, how their other new guards, Micic and uh, Trey Mann do this year. I, I think it's possible. It wouldn't shock me. And also just see what sort of kind of leader he might be. But look, it's an easy win. I don't think anyone's going to be complaining if you pick up a, a four million dollar team option for Seth Curry next year, but but roster places will be will be interesting. Depends what the rest of the moves are in the season. Uh, Davis Bertans, uh, bearded Byron Mullins, as I call him, um, <laughs> or or slightly slightly younger Matt Bonner. Uh, those are my glass half empty, glass half full. I'll get them out of the way early for Davis Bertans. Um, uh, what he had that one season in Washington where he was like fifteen points, seventeen rebounds. Uh, and he earned that, or is it San Antonio actually? And he then he earned that big contract from Washington. And I mean, everyone's known what he is. Like he's just like a absolute Latvian laser. That's what, that is describes him very well. Um, mm -hmm. He shoots the ball very aggressively at a very high clip, and pretty much hurts you in every other aspect of the game. But I mean, if he does that, like he still helps you. We saw it in that Memphis game. He spearheaded that 20 to two run or whatever it was when he was in the game and took one of the worst shots I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and that's so funny too, is because that like perfectly encapsulates him. Like that game is yeah. like, he can do stuff like that. But if they're still, if the other ones are going down, like he ultimately is still going to help you because like, it's just math. Like if you shoot a lot of threes and you make them at a relatively high clip, 
you're just going to put yourself in position to win more often than not. And Bertans is clearly somebody that's going to do that. And I think like Seth Curry is going to have a ton of fun moments playing off Lamelo, just taking like extremely gutsy, like heat check threes and making a high majority of them, or at least way too many of them or more than we would expect. So I'm going to be another low minute guy. And I would imagine that like the glass yeah. half empty thing here is he's just, that $17 million salary is just something that is used in a trade this off season. And we really only see him play a very useful like, option, a very, very useful, useful trade option. Absolutely. And that, right. He and that's, that could, tra- that could also be part of the glass half full approach. Honestly, it's like yes. having his yeah. salary just to be able to use for trade. Like it's not even, I don't even know if that's glass half empty. There really might not even be a glass half empty here just because of that. But I mean, I, I so guess he, it would he be him an early termination like option. 10 more games or something. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, he has an early termination option, which I believe is on the 1st of October, 2024. So that means that if you waive him at that point, you go from paying him 17 million down to only paying him 5 million. So he is a very useful candidate for maybe some of these second apron teams, which all the additional uh, issues being in the second apron, you trade him to one of those teams in the off season, they essentially can shed 11 million off their salary instantly. Um, so it, it's, it's a really interesting uh, trade tool. And like we always talk about having these tradable contracts, how useful that is for, for making other moves. Um, I think I don't think he'll probably play that much this year, if I'm being honest. But uh, yeah, I think it, having him there as an option, I expect him probably to get moved around the draft, around free agency, and for them to, to use that as a vehicle for uh, another move. Yeah, I mean, he played 91 minutes in 15 appearances with the Thunder this year leading up to that. He played 12 minutes with the Hornets in his first game. So he's already, what, like like one-seventh of the way to his total, his total minutes total that he had with the Thunder just in one game. So I, I totally agree. He's probably not going to play much either way. But, I mean, that's fine. Like, it's, I, it's honestly totally okay he is a career 39.8 percent three-point shooter on 2,000 attempts so I mean whatever minutes that he's out on the floor as long as he can hold that up like he's at least not going to hurt you so and that's all we're looking for because the guys on the deep bench for the Hornets in the last couple of seasons have not been those types of players where they at least have skills that aren't going to hurt you most of those guys have been glaring negatives that can't even win garbage time minutes much less much less play in an actual rotation. Bertans yeah. is one of those guys that you can just throw out there and you can trust him. So I'm, I'm, a lot again, of them, I'm glad, a lot I'm glad of them were Mitch Clifford has one Ch- of those guys. Draft picks. Just saying, Chase. A lot That's of them true. Mitch one, one, one of them was. One of them definitely was. But again, he, he was waived. So we don't we don't have to deal with, with any of that anymore. So at least be thankful right, for that. Right, but Chase, that is a, a mammoth episode we've had today. Obviously, a it lot is. to cover. Um but I think I've enjoyed, I enjoyed the podcast. I think this is one of our, our best podcasts. Um, some really good discussion, an exciting time. I hope you, the listeners, enjoyed it. Um, and we'll be back uh, next week uh, in some form or another. Um, so, Chase, uh, any final words before moving out today? I mean, I think I said it earlier verbatim, but this is the dawn of a new era. We are officially ushering in a new generation of Charlotte Hornets basketball now with all these shipments out at the trade deadline, the stepping aside of Mitch Kupchak. It is here. The changes are not coming. The changes are here now. We are living through 
the results and uh it is definitely exciting so we've got some at least more meaningful and exciting basketball to look forward to down the stretch so can't complain can't complain absolutely absolutely this yeah like you nailed it this is a seminal moment in the franchise history um this is the kind of podcast that we'll probably look back at three or four years and and look at that recording and you know think about what we said so yeah uh, thank for everyone for sticking with us. Uh, if it's your first time listening, we appreciate it. Check out allhornets.com. We'll catch you next week.